Hey babe, did you know that using a great alternative light source doesn't cost a billion dollars or look like a suitcase anymore? Surely that's not true, but if you can give me more information, I'll be inclined to believe you. Well now, you can get a pocket-sized blacklight from Taction USA that works just as well as a large ALS, an alternative light source. It works so well, you'll never go back to any other ALS. It's lightweight and literally fits in your pocket. Made out of aluminum, so it's durable, it will last you a lifetime. You can find the professional blacklight at TactionUSA.com for $29.99. Ships quickly, and your order comes from Taction USA's Amazon store, so it's easy to order. Taction USA is run by law enforcement for law enforcement. You should check it out today and get yours. Get yours right now, today, at TactionUSA.com. <sighs> Your favorite true crime podcast with your hosts, Brendan and Hillary. Woo. Welcome to Murder by Design. Sign the crime scene log and join us. So this time around, we got a story for you of five murders, all solved, but all still a little mysterious. And as two fashion icons <laughs> ourselves, we're uniquely qualified to cover the story. But it's important not to muddy the waters here. <laughs> While the story does involve the murder of a very high-profile victim, there's a total of five people who were needlessly killed, and each of their deaths are equally tragic and unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So let's waste no time. Dive right in. Now, as we mentioned up top, all the cases are solved, and it didn't take long for the perpetrator to be identified. Pretty much immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, within two days of the first killing. Which is refreshing. Yes. it was... No more people had to lose their life, you know, needlessly. And we'll discuss more later the difference between spree killer and serial killer. But yeah. I saw one place noted this may have been the first time in American history that a serial or spree killer was on the loose and still killing, but his name and photo were on the nightly news huh. every evening. Because they knew who he was, and he was just still at it. Bananas. <laughs> Tremendous bananas. Now, the man we're speaking of was Andrew Philip Cunanan. He was born August 31st, 1969, the youngest of four children. He grew up in National City, California. His father was a Filipino-American gentleman and a stockbroker after he left the Navy. His mother was an Italian-American, so he had a good a mixture Mm-hmm. Especially that Italian. Yes, we know you're you're highly biased. <laughs> now, his criminal behavior began when he was in his teens. It was then that he perfected his ability to lie, beginning with telling big stories about his family and his life, trying to impress people, blah, 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 my dad could beat up your dad, I'm the president, things kids lie about, right? <laughs> but he could also change his appearance very well, and he was quite into fashion, and cared about how he looked, so he took good care of himself, well-groomed, and such. Now, Andrew was gay, and he began having affairs with older men, but only if they had some money. Mm -hmm. After high school, and I, I say again, he was in high school while he was doing that. Yeah. 
That was when I read that in the my research. I thought, wow. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear. We got we got some some things. That's <laughs> no place for a high school student. No. Now, after high school, he enrolled in the University of California in San Diego. A year later, at 19, Andrew's father left the family when he moved back to the Philippines to evade an arrest warrant he had for embezzling money. Hmm. No good. No. Especially for, uh, he was a stockbroker. Yeah, he stock was a stockbroker. So, I, mean, I guess it's easy to start embezzling on that. You're dealing with people's money. But and just that's... move it into your own account. Oh, dear. But then you have to flee to the Philippines. And that's just too much trouble for me, I'd say. <laughs> Andrew began going to local gay clubs and restaurants. His mother was a devout, I believe, Christian woman. Mm-hmm. Very devout in her religion. Didn't take well to Andrew's lifestyle. But it seems like with his father out of the picture... Andrew felt like, eh, if mom frowns at me, whatever, I don't have to answer to dad about where I was all night. True. Yeah, I could see that being his way of thinking. And he seemed to fancy himself the man of the house after that, because at one point, Andrew and his mother had a heated argument about his lifestyle, and he threw her against a wall, and her shoulder was dislocated as a result. Oh dear. His behavioral issues began to escalate, and it was soon determined that he may suffer from an antisocial personality disorder. No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of red flags. Yeah. It's, he's a, a troubled man. Yes. Troubled youth into a troubled man. Mm-hmm. Perhaps issues with you know, fatherly resentment. And right. His mom doesn't like the way he lives. He wants to live well, his life. And I think he... You know, he wanted to aspire to be something else. Mm-hmm. So to, he didn't like his life, which if you think about it, if his father was a stockbroker, he probably did pretty well. Yeah, they were probably but, doing all right. Yeah. Especially in, in the embezzlement years. Oh, <laughs> they were probably sitting real <laughs> Bes- pretty. Beside the point. <laughs> so, but, you know, he probably, he obvi- obviously yeah. wanted to aspire to be something Greater than his life was. Right. And so it then there was like that. Grew up on the street or anything. No. So but then he wanted to exceed that. Right. And then I'm thinking when his father got in trouble, that probably triggered some more things. Mm-hmm. And he already was. Seems to me, it seems like he was uncomfortable in his own skin because yes. he couldn't be himself because of his mom. Right. So that you know, it's all you know, boiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's building up, yeah. and then he has the argument with mom, yeah. and slams her into a wall. Yeah. So now he's not just angry, but he's violent. He's violent. Part of his antisocial personality disorder meant that he showed little remorse or empathy, and in 1989, he dropped out of college and moved in with some friends in San Francisco's Castro District, the hub of San Francisco's gay community. Now, while living in San Francisco, Andrew continued his ways of befriending wealthy older men, he also showed a major interest in sadistic, violent pornography, and even starred in some films which have been described by people close to him as hard to watch. Hmm. Um, we won't go into it here, but I did read a description of one scene involving multiple partners, and basically Andrew was the willing victim, if really? you will. I didn't yeah. read any of that stuff. I think... I got to probably some of that and went, <laughs> oh, never mind. we're not going to include that anyway. I don't need to know. 
Yeah. So apparently pretty heavy stuff hmm. that he was happy to partake in. Which, I'm going to pause. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say too much because we'll go into everything later. But that seems to be a common trait of certain types of serial killers is the violent the sexual. violent sexual almost it's an addiction yeah and yeah it's he spent a lot of his time just even watching even some porn. yes i was gonna say even exposure to it there have been serial killers that have been exposed to that kind of pornography at a very young age and suddenly it's something that attracts them mm-hmm. and that that kind of thing seems to connect with certain types of serial killers. Right. Exposure to that early on in right. certain people and, you know, like strange sexual experiences at a young age. Right. Have led to this. Right. I don't know. Strange development, this improper. Yeah, I can't help but think that it's something that kind of. They become disconnected from. Yeah. Them like regular social right. life especially those exposed to it young mm-hmm. you know when you're not allowed to be a kid anymore i think that's affecting that affects you later right and he's barely into his 20s at this right. point so he's been exposed and experienced right. a lot and he spent part of his teen years enticing older men right so he's got he has some issues for so sure yes, he's he has been around a lot of that growing up and mm-hmm. now into adulthood, he's much the same. He became violent, mm-hmm. going from being angry to being violent. Right. He's gone from trying to attract wealthy, older partners he could take advantage of to, yeah, I'll star in your movie, for, you know. With, yeah, or whatever. Part of some wild scene with mm-hmm. whips and multiple people and all manner of depravity. Yeah. As uh, he was known to party in the Hillcrest and La Jolla areas of San Diego as well, and also Scottsdale, Arizona. Hmm. Uh, But all that time, while taking part in the depravity, he was dealing and consuming prescription pills, cocaine, mainly meth, and marijuana, of course. So combine that with his psychological disorder as it is violence violence sexual depravity yeah and drug and antisocial on top of the personality yeah. disorder i'm i'm sure it all mixes oh yeah i'm sure it did <clears throat> uh during his acting and dealing days andrew went by many different names including andrew de silva lieutenant mm-hmm. commander andy cummings which Maybe that was one of the stage names. I don't know. That's what uh, I thought. Drew Cunningham <laughs> and Kurt Matthew Damaris. Cunanan loved his time in San Francisco because it allowed him to be who he wanted to be while he was also around the kind of people that he wanted that attention, money, and affection from. Wealthy, older gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Fellow gay men. Right. People he could do drugs with, drink with, party with. Films, spooky movies with. But before we go any further, let's hear from ourselves on behalf (laughs) of our sponsor. If you are looking for a career change or to expand your knowledge in an already established one, look no further 
than the National Investigative Training Academy. The National Investigative Training Academy, or NIDA, N-I-T-A, has well over 100 courses with 70 professional development ones alone. NIDA is constantly adding to their course catalog, and courses are focused on private investigation and security fields. Whether you would like to become a private investigator or you need continuing education for your investigative or security career, the National Investigative Training Academy is for you. All courses offered are 100% online and do at your own pace. Once completed, you will receive a certificate in that course. Sign up today at investigativeacademy.com. Make sure when you sign up for your courses, you mention we sent you there. We encourage you to get the best investigative and security training possible today. When you sign up, mention our brand ambassador code BA2367. That's BA2367. And you can find those courses at investigativeacademy.com. Look for links in our show notes as well. And we're back. Now, one particular wealthy older gay man that Cunanan had a run with was fashion mogul Gianni Versace. No. What? Versace. That's what I said. Versace was in town in September of 1990. Versace had designed costumes for a San Francisco opera production, and he was attending a gala after the event at a local disco, which they apparently had still in 1990. I bet those were fun. A 90s disco. An early (laughs) 90s disco. Who doesn't like, you know, a little disco music once in a while? Yeah, I'm sure electronic music was becoming big and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cunanan is alleged to have been at the disco that night. This is according to a few different sources who were first-hand witnesses. And Andrew and Gianni Versace had a conversation, but nothing more came from that meeting for now. Mm-hmm. now the wheels began to come off of Cunanan's party world in the fall of 1996. So he had a good... Had a good run. like 89 to 96 partying he needs money he attracts some gentlemen mm-hmm. apparently his uh looks this is not my <laughs> assessment but i hope not somebody had said <laughs> <laughs> on the 10 scale of appearance andrew would really only be about a five really? but it was his charm that, that catapulted it yes that, you, know, you know he I was don't... he was fine but he was just so charming and Outgoing, even with that antisocial oh, wow. personality disorder. That was one personality, probably. Well, he's manipulative, I'm guessing. Yeah. He doesn't really like people or care for them. No. But if he needs something, yeah. he can talk you into whatever. You know, I didn't really come across any pictures of him. I'll have to look that up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to make a declaration as to where he falls on the scale. but Well, good. For those listening, you decide... Uh, as Cunanan got deeper into the world of drugs, he was dumped by his main benefactor, a mm. poor, wealthy fellow, who had been giving Andrew about 2500 a month to live off of. Just Back to be then? His, yeah, in 1990. Wow. Well, 96 at this point, but I guess he'd been involved with this guy for a bit. Uh, his glitzy lifestyle vanished in an instant when that allowance was cut off. Mm. Andrew was used to spending his money as fast as it came in to present himself as a person of status. Of course. He apparently cared quite a bit what his 
friends right. thought of him. So he wanted to show up, you know, fancy clothes, fancy jewelry, take him out to the expensive restaurants and all right. that. But after losing his benefactor, his credit cards were maxed out pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And lucky for Andrew, he still had someone he could lean on to take care of him. And that was David Madsen, a Minnesota architect, which Andrew had met while he was visiting San Francisco at a bar in late 1995. Hmm. Now, with Madsen back home in Minneapolis, the two began a long-distance relationship, but eventually David called it off. He felt something was a little off about Andrew. Mm -hmm. Decided, yeah, I think I'm just going to live my life here. Now, Andrew called Madsen the love of his life. So he's a little upset. So it's going to... That his long distance... That's going to trigger something. Yeah. Decided, well, you you keep doing your California thing, and I'm just going to keep doing my Minneapolis thing. <clears throat> well, in April of 1997, Kunanen threw himself a going-away party and called his credit card company and convinced them to let him... Yeah, just, just let me buy one more one thing. One ticket. And it turned out to be a one-way ticket to Minneapolis. His hopes were being with David. Now, when he arrived, Madsen welcomed Andrew and introduced him to some friends over dinner. I guess figured, well, I'll do the guy a favor and right. give him a helping hand, get him into the community and all these friends. Well, one of the friends he was introduced to was another acquaintance of Andrew Cunanan, Jeffrey Trail. Trail met Andrew in 1992 while mm. Trail was in the Navy, stationed in Southern California. Ah. Eventually, Trail landed a job in Minneapolis, where Andrew would regular, regularly visit because he felt pretty close to Trail as well. <laughs> he had a, he had eyes for him, too. Yeah, obviously. Now, people close to Andrew and Jeff tell conflicting stories, with half saying they were just friends, and Jeff was kind of a big brother figure for Andrew. And then others insisting that, no, those two were definitely romantically involved for a time. Hmm. And before let Jeff left California, Andrew swiped Jeff's forty caliber Taurus pistol. Oh, dear. Yes. And so that was back around 92, I believe, right. that Jeff left. So Andrew... He's had it I guess a while. He, yeah, he, he decided he wanted a little keepsake from their relationship, so he stole the guy's gun. And on one of his visits to Minneapolis... To see Jeff, Andrew introduced Trail and Madsen, mm -hmm. and he couldn't help but think after that, maybe that was a bit of a mistake. <clears throat> the pair hit it off quickly. Andrew still had feelings for both of them, and now he's worried. But they're going to get together. I think together those two are seeing each other. And push him out. My former flames mm -hmm. are an item. So jumping back to 1997, when Kunan had arrived in mm -hmm. Minneapolis and was greeted with Madsen, by Madsen. He was convinced that they were uh, still and doing I'm... something behind his back. Andrew decided he left uh, Jeff a voicemail, or I'm sorry, an answering machine machine note it's call. voicemail. Yeah, I guess. But it's different than we have now. It was mm. probably on a little cassette. Yeah, those were handy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could throw them away easier than deleting one off your phone. That's true. I guess it's not handy for investigation. <laughs> yes. Well, the police had a field day with it because they found this voicemail yeah. later. 
of Andrew telling Jeff, hey, come over to David's apartment, let's discuss this whole thing and clear the air. So, on April 27th, 1997, Cunanan confronted both men about the possible love triangle, and an argument ensued. Neighbors heard a lot of yelling, and then a banging sound a few times. Turns out, as the argument broke out between them, so too did a fight. And at some point, Andrew armed himself with a claw hammer from a toolbox, and he beat Jeffrey Trail to death with it in front of David Madsen. Jeez. Three days later, Madsen didn't show up to work, so his co-workers went to look for him at his apartment. But they found lots of blood, and Jeffrey Trail's body rolled up in a rug tucked behind a couch. And now that Andrew has killed a man, he's incapable of stopping himself. But, before we tell you about the remaining victims, we are mandated by Supreme Court order to keep you in suspense for a bit. It's not my decision, but that's what the ruling that was handed down. <laughs> so until part two comes soon, we appreciate you tuning in. Please sign the crime scene log on your way out. Stay safe. So long. So long.